great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the one more film blog podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. This is episode number 49 for September 2014. Your hosts are Ken Moorfield, that's me, and Todd Truffin, that's me. And our topic for this episode is Supermensch, the 2013 film about Shep Gordon, subtitled as The Legend of Shep Gordon, directed by Mike Myers. And yes, it's that Mike Myers. So, Todd, before we do anything else, I'm sure the big question on everyone's mind is, well, what is a supermensch? What does the title mean? So can you explain that? Well, a mensch is a Yiddish word used to describe um, a man who, usually a man, who is a good guy, a reliable guy. Um, he's the guy who's going to do the right thing and the right thing by you. So he's kind of the, the good friend, so to so speak. So a supermensch would be... Supermensch is even more menschy than the mensch. The trustworthy guy that's got your back. I, mean, I think... I think the film says a man of high character or honor. High character, honor. Usually, I think it, it's often used just in terms of relate. You know, that that guy. He's a menschy guy. He's going to do the right thing. And while we're on the title, the legend of Chef Gordon. Who is Chef Gordon? Uh, Chef Gordon is uh, well, he is yes, he is uh, a talent uh, agent who got his start uh, in the late '60s with Alice Cooper and brought Alice Cooper really through the 70s into the prominence of being Alice Cooper and, um, and many other musical acts, uh, Anne Murray, uh, which, you know, part of the film is very interesting. Why did Chef work with Anne Murray as well as Alice Cooper? Could not find two more opposite people. Pink um, Floyd. Pink Floyd for, for nine, nine days. days. Um, and later in his career really created the whole concept of the celebrity chef. So that's, you know, he's just a, a talent agent that has been wildly successful and, as is shown in the film, knows more people and has connections with more big people than just about anyone. So that's Chef Gordon. Okay. As we were watching this film, at first I was not terribly impressed um, with the film. It was entertaining and all of that, but in terms of what, you know, watching it and thinking about it for the thin place, I wasn't seeing what we could really talk about. Um, you seem much more interested and immediately interested. You've convinced me, but what made this a film that you wanted to talk about? Right. Well, I, I adore the film. This was the second time I'd seen it. I first saw it at the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival in April. I know I played at TIFF last year, but I didn't see it at TIFF, but I, I did see it at Full Frame. And I was actually able to hear Chef Gordon do a Q&A after that particular movie. I think, so I was more enthusiastic about the film. You talked me down <laughs> a, a, a little bit, as did Sherry, your Todd's wife, after we were watching it with her. I think there's two things that I wanted to talk about or that we wanted to talk about. Uh, one of them is discussions about Mike Myers' film and the way he presents this story. And I think we want to be careful to distinguish our comments about uh, Mike Myers' art artifact 
the legend of Chef Gordon. And then the second part, time permitting, is some comments about Chef Gordon's philosophy, life philosophy, in the film, which I think is interesting and at times inspiring. After the second time I watched the film, the first time you had watched the film, one of the first comments out of my mouth was, I thought this was a four-star film that should have been or could have been a five-star film if someone other than Mike Myers had directed it. I, I don't think that Mike Myers is incompetent, but I thought that Mike Myers's obvious admiration for and devotion to Chef Gordon got in the way of telling a more interesting story and made it come across a little bit too much like a hagiography uh, or a Valentine. Um, did you have criticisms of the film as film, or were is it more your response to Chef Gordon himself? Well, that, that's an interesting question, and I and I think at least. For me personally, I the only real exposure I have to the person Chef Gordon is through this film. Well, that's fair. And so, yeah, and, and I want to be really careful, as you brought up, is I don't want to be judging Chef Gordon the person. I don't know this man. Um, all I know is this representation of him. Um, he could be the actual supermensch of the title. Um, but I think there were things about the film and the way it presented him that made me very suspicious. Okay, well, before you get into the ones that are very suspicious, I will say that let me enumerate some of the things. Well, one of the things that I loved about the film mm -hmm. is it, it's a film that early on, I believe it's Michael Douglas, says that Shep Gordon is a great storyteller. Okay. And what I really appreciated about what Mike Myers did was most of the film, when it's not these little snippets of people they're interviewing, it is Shep Gordon telling stories. Right. And he is an incredibly engaging storyteller. Okay, good. Um, and, you know, I certainly was entertained by his stories of the various celebrities that he's known and the various situations. Um, he's, you know, he, he does nice little voices. He tells Good he has good details. He laughs a lot. He's an enjoyable person mm -hmm. to to listen to. Okay, and, and that is demonstrated as well as claimed. So some of the positive things that we're told about Chef from the celebrities that are interviewed, or from him himself, is that uh, like Alice Cooper, we're told that he and Alice Cooper never had a contract because they always cared more about the relationship. Right than they did about the money uh, that he told, uh, you know, Janis Joplin or Alice Cooper or some of these early people that he had met that uh, he could handle his drugs better than them and so he could watch their back when they were they were passed out. Uh, we had a very engaging story about how he buys uh, a house for the children of a woman that he used to date, uh, African-American, because... You know, they've fallen on hard times and well, the woman had died and he's got a, a bunch of money. Uh, early on in his career, he talked someone into getting, uh, giving a lot of money to Groucho Marx as sort of a vaudeville person who's fallen on hard times and been forgotten. Right. Uh, so developed this philosophy of, you know, not forgetting about people. Uh, Mike Myers gives a, a glowing testimonial about how Chef has an, quote, open door policy at his house and, Maui uh, that anyone can come in and Mike Myers invited himself 
to stay there for a week when he was in, quote, a dark place and ended up staying at his house for two months. Um, if, if you're one of Shep's friends, it's a really good place to okay, be. Okay, so <laughs> a little bit of overkill. Tom Arnold talks about how Shep got the paparazzi uh, away mm-hmm. from... Uh, you know, away from him while he was gone through uh, some difficult times, in, in, including his marriage. So there's some talk about how Shep was instrumental in breaking up the so-called Chitlin circuit mm-hmm. by signing African-American singers and insisting that they actually get paid for performing and, get and, and, and get taking them in white venues, right. sometimes at perhaps personal a risk. threat to mm-hmm. himself. So... Surely these, you surely, Todd, you agree, these are all admirable, great, menschy things. Exactly. And and as I say, you know, being very careful here, we're not judging Chef, or the downfalls of the film are not the downfalls of Chef. Okay. So what what is the, what are the downfalls of well, the, the film? The Why, film, given all those wonderful <laughs> things. things that he's done, uh, are you not enraptured about the film? Well, the film perhaps spends too much time on all the good stuff, and and yet we get these hints, little nuggets dropped here and there, that there's a darker side to not just Shep, but I think the whole industry. And in order for Shep to have done risen to the success that he did and do some of the things that he'd done, there was, you know, and, and some of the stuff is not, you know, outrageous, like, oh... It was the 60s, it was the rock and roll scene. You know, how dare you tell me there were drugs going off? But he was the supplier. It's, it's very clear from the beginnings of the, his kind of origin that the reason he got in with all, a lot of these people is he was giving away all kinds of free pot drugs. and drugs and all kinds of things, um, you know, proving that he could out-drug and out-drink anyone by doing it. And... You know, those were some hard times. He, throughout his career, certainly did not have a very high place for women. And, you know, the, the long string of girlfriends that he talks about, um, and, and many of the other people in the film, you know, talk about, oh, yeah, Shep liked his women. Mm-hmm. Um, he had women coming in, the, going out the back door, as another woman was coming in the front door. And, you know, and there was a, a little bit of that, you know, locker room praise for that sort of behavior and yet at the same time you know there's a lot of women out there that were damaged very much by that kind of behavior and that's a, that was a big part of his life and you know the, the film I don't know that the film sh- I don't wouldn't say that the film shies away from it but it never really reflects on some of these more negative aspects of the things Shep had to do or chose to do to achieve certain aspects of his success Right. I think that word reflect is is an important one. It is a film that carries you along on a lot of the surface emotions. Yeah. And we get hints that not everyone likes Shep or that there's another side to him. Michael Douglas says early on that he could be, you know, a hard, yeah, that he could drive a hard bargain. He hints when he's Chef himself hints when he's doing Wayne's World that uh, supplying Alice Cooper's music or whatnot that he played hardball with Mike Myers about which songs that they had wanted. Um, I also hear you saying that 
the film conflates a little bit. I, I wrote down the word altruistic, mm-hmm. that it, it sometimes presents him as being altruistic in some of these things that he did as just being a function of him being a good guy, uh, as though he didn't get 20% of all of the money he's making. Uh, And when you do hear of a a, a negative aspect, whether it's in the relationship with women, I think it's interesting that none of the women are in his life or are interviewed, whether it be Sharon Stone or uh, some of these lesser-known women. But um, said at one point... Uh, it mentions that he decided to retire from an agent and have clients and except for Alice Cooper because he's had this lifelong relationship. And it says that Luther Vandross got so mad that he wrote Shep out of his biography or autobiography. Well, that comes across as Luther overreacting, being petulant. But it's interesting that no one ever given all of the celebrities who are willing to sing his praises and say how great he is, that no one ever talks to Luther and says, what's, you know, what's going on with that? At another point, Shep's telling a story about the celebrity chef thing, and he mentions talking to Roger Berger, uh, who is the three-star Michelin chef, and he mentions that Pablo Picasso was there. And a little asterisk comes up on the screen and says, not actually true. Pablo Picasso was dead in 1973. Chef must have been very high that day. And then Chef laughs and says, I was taking a lot of drugs that day. So they challenge that as this is the legend of Chef Gordon. But the film never steps back and reflects and says, okay, are we drawing attention to the fact that we're only getting one side of, of this story, a very positive side? Well, and perhaps this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's, it was one of the more poignant parts of the film for me, and perhaps where the, where the film actually does give us a little bit of time to think, is that near the end of the film, Shep goes through a very serious medical situation. He has to have emergency surgery that... The doctors are saying he has a 20% chance to live. Very, very serious. He survives. And he, when he wakes up in the hospital, the only person in the hospital is his paid assistant. You know, all of these people that are supposedly his great friends that he, you know, whatever, no one's there for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. that. He does say towards the end while he's sitting out on the beach in his house in Hawaii that I don't know who I'm going to leave yeah, all I don't this know. to. He, you know, he has no children. Um, that it, he's it, got some adopted. I don't yeah. know if they're legally adopted. Right. He's got a family that he adopted. I mean, the, from the, the, one, the one group of people in this entire film that he helps who have no real way to ever pay him back you know, is this, this group of kids that you know, their mother dies. Shep had dated the mother at some point. Um, and really, you know, wanted to take care of these, and and, and does so. Um, I, I think the film does, uh, you know, give him lots of credit. He doesn't just throw money at them. He he becomes part of their life. He acts as their father, and they seem to reciprocate. Yes. Um, and it's there, there's a great love there, and yet he still feels lonely. Um, yeah. And I think that's the part of the film that maybe gives us a little bit of reflection. Well, circling back to my comment about criticism of the film, and this might have been a better film if someone other than Mike Myers Mm -hmm. had done it, it it seems to me that when we divide up the people in the film as to how positive they are, 
about chef. I mean, on one side, you've got the just the Kool-Aid drinkers, Mike Myers, Tom Arnold, um, you know, the, the African-American kids who, right. you know, were uh, just uniformly positive. Don Nelson, I think, um, you know, the basketball coaches, right. friend were all uniformly positive. In terms of the more um, Alice Cooper, very much on the positive, Chef's this lifelong friend who's really invested his life into Alice's life and and accompanied that, and Alice almost calls it like a marriage. On the negative side, you really only have maybe Michael Douglas says some negative or questions. He's a very ambiguous character, isn't he? And... And Shep himself, mm-hmm. you know, Shep seems, and this came out to me very clearly at the question and answer period at the full frame okay. documentary film festival where Shep came and talked after the film, where Shep seemed much more willing to think back over his life, reflect on his life. Uh, he's forever dropping hints, particularly in the second half of the film about like, oh, that's when I realized I didn't like my profession very much where I've lived other people's lives where, you know, I want to slow down, um, you know, where I don't like this industry. And he seemed to constantly be inviting Mike Myers to either reflect with him or allow him to reflect on some of the negative aspects of his experience. Uh, but Mike Myers didn't appear to want to go there. And right. and Chef seems to be a little bit like that clown or that storytelling where it's like, okay, I'm making everyone uncomfortable, so let me tell another funny story. And, um, you know, from a film point of view, I very much enjoyed the encomiums and the praise and the great stories. But I think as a a work of art and a philosophical investigation of this man's life, uh, I think it needed a director that was a little more probing. Yeah, and I would agree, because there are some real questions. um, And and when... And I guess even when we start thinking about the things that Shep himself says about his philosophy about karma, as he, you know, what yes. he calls karma, um, which it seems to be fit into the, the Buddhist karma concept. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he does have a, a somewhat of a relationship with the Dalai Lama, um, and those things that he says are are very much a person kind of on the other side of his life. I mean, he's at the toward the end of his life, he's now thinking this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not convinced, I wasn't convinced in the movie, that this was a driving philosophy that he had through his whole life. Right. Well, so we're shifting gears towards that second bullet, and I think it's appropriate to do so, of not so much much criticizing the film as examining Chef's worldview or philosophy. Yeah, and and what he says, yeah. And and I think that the the older man, toward the end of his life, looking back on things, I think... And to bring, you know, kind of piggyback a little bit on your comments about Mike Myers, it, you do get the impression that it, perhaps Shep wants to go there a little bit more than the film does. I certainly got that impression. And, and, and I might have been more enthusiastic about the film as a whole had that happened. Because, you know, most of the first part of the film, I was kind of like, yeah, this guy's fun to listen to, but I wouldn't want to be in a room with him. And I so would. I would be like, tell me more stories, you know? Um, and, and Particularly stories about famous people right. that you knew back in the day. Tell, tell me about going to the club and uh, conniving to let Ann Murray get her picture taken with John Lennon, you know? And, and, and again, they're entertaining stories. Right. Um, 
But for me, and, and but do they illustrate the life lesson that Shep claims that he is preaching? Yeah, and I don't think it does. Right. Um, you know, he's doing all sorts of, yes, he's being very altruistic and doing all sorts of building up good karma, but it's only for people, with the exception of the child, those children, it's always for people that can pay him back somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe it isn't necessarily a one-for-one deal, but, at, you know, I kept thinking of the Godfather again. I'm going to do this favor for you <laughs> someday. Right. You will do a favor for me. Well, yeah. So we've used the word karma a couple times. Shep is described in the film as, quote, a Jubu, uh, meaning a, a Jewish Jew. slash Buddhist. And it, the place where he speaks most extensively about karma is in the lead up to talking about Teddy Pendergrass. Correct. And... I found that a little bit disturbing in the sense that uh, those of you who know Teddy Pendergrass's story, uh, Teddy Pendergrass got in a very violent car accident that left him unable to walk. And um, Shep actually makes a connection somewhat disturbingly between uh, Teddy Pendergrass refusing to go on a concert. I believe it was in England. Or yeah, London. it was in London. Uh, doesn't say why. You know, just says he got there and Teddy Pendergrass wouldn't go on. And I kept telling him, you know, the people that are out there, they've disrupted their lives. They've got babysitters. They've paid tickets. If you refuse to go out there and do the show, this is going to come back on you in a big way. Hard. Hard. And then a month later, he was in a car accident and he couldn't walk again. And then it becomes all positive about, oh, look at the things that Shep did for him. He got him on live aid. You know, say used all of his strategy to, to rejuvenate his career. But I mean, the implication unspoken is that okay, you know, God or the universe or something was punishing Teddy Pendergrass for not going on by turning him into yeah. Uh, and a, even even Shep's tone because this what this is one of those interesting parts of the film where it is it is all Shep telling the story, mm-hmm. but the tone like shifts in that part of the. Yeah, um, and it, it, it's a much darker, I mean, now granted, it's a dark story. I mean, this guy lost the ability to walk, etc. Um, but, yeah, th- there really was a kind of cause-effect connection being made there that was, I mean, now, if you're a believer in karma, I guess you could say it goes both ways. Right, well, like you, I want to be very careful about any implied criticism about a man who has been much more generous yes. out of his wealth than I have ever been out of my relative wealth, but not super wealth. Right. Um, and who has done a lot more favors and has exercised, uh, you know, good character. That said, <laughs> that said, <laughs> I, I, we mentioned in pre-production that I, I think that karma philosophy is much more attractive to people who have been successful in lives because the only thing Americans hate more than being told that they're responsible for their own failures is that they're not responsible for their own success. And I think Shep feels a little uncomfortable at his mega success and somehow or another wants to believe in karma because that ties it into, I, I deserve it somehow or another. These these I've, I've incidents that I remember, these stories that I tell, uh, that are admirable stories. 
sure. somehow or another make it so that I deserve this. He, he talks about when Alice Cooper was struggling, uh, Shep got an opportunity to manage a Toronto concert where John Lennon was going to make his first appearance after the Beatles broke up. And Chef gone a big paycheck and said, no, I'll, I'll do it for free for $1 under the condition that my client gets to sing in between the doors and John Lennon. Right. And knowing that that's going to help his client. And he, he echoes that back in the whole episodes about Robert, Roger Verger, the three-star chef, and the whole mentality of putting someone else's comfort before your, your own. And so I, I think Chef exercises that to greater or lesser degree right. throughout the film and throughout his life. But I have a hard time making that a connection to his success because his origin story about how he finds success is that he gets fired or quits a job as a prison guard outside of L.A. He drives into L.A., checks into a motel, which he claims doesn't know from any other motel. It just happens to be a hangout for Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. Here's a scuffle in the middle of the night. It goes down there, meets all of these people, happens to have a lot of drugs, uh, and they all are like, hey, you should manage Pink Floyd, you should manage uh, Alice Cooper or something like that. That sounds much more to me like I fell into this, I was right. very lucky, than it is really a life lesson about karma. And now I think he did more with that opportunity, and I'm all for that. I'm all for a message oh, of... it's a great American story. I got a lucky break, and I seized on that. And but, work really hard. And but something. it's different between saying I got a lucky break and I seized on that, or I was in the right place, and then I acted in the right way. Versus all of this stuff happened to me because I'm a good person, or even I am a good person because all this stuff happened to me that I'm that I didn't really deserve, and I'm trying to make up for it, you know. And that's where the film, as a film, really fails its subject, I guess, <clears throat> because. The way the film is structured, it, it is so much about all the positive, wonderful things he's done. And you got to want, I mean, you know, the various ways that he treats certain other people throughout his career that weren't so nice. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, where's the karma for that? Example? Well, I, you know, I've already mentioned you know, the way he treats women. And, I mean, the one of the classic, you know, he's, he's wearing this big T-shirt that basically says, if you don't give me a blowjob, you can't get backstage. No head, no backstage No head, pass. no backstage pass. And that's just disgusting. And it, and it kind of advertises a kind of way of treating certain people. In other words, the people who can't get new things. Right. Um, you know, you're not the star, so if you want access to the stars, you have to service me. So where's the karma for that? I have an open door policy at my six hundred fifty thousand for my friends dollar home in Maui for my friends. Which yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that a person you know should have an open door policy for, for everyone, but it's very clear in Chef's world. But where is the merit? You know, where is the merit in that? How is that any more noble than well, I have an open door policy for my friends at my right. <laughs> slightly more modest home <laughs> in North Carolina, and. And, you know, and that's the part where I think you know the film, and and again, I don't I don't pretend to know Shep or his mind, but the film, you know, really does not show us any kind of reflect. And again, does not reflect on these more negative aspects. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're going to play with karma, you got to play with karma. 
All right. So Supermensch is available now on Amazon Direct, VOD. Yeah. Um, sounds like I've talked you up a little bit and you've talked me down a little bit. It's still still a thumbs up for me. I recommend the film. I, I, I found it very entertaining, even if I wasn't always buying what it was selling. If you like hearing stories, you know, there's some fun stories to be heard about, you know, the music business in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And that can be interesting to listen to. I wouldn't have watched it if I wasn't, you know, with a group of people who did, and I probably still won't. So Okay. <laughs> so, uh, anything else, Todd? Nope, that's Thank enough. you for your comments. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have questions or comments about this episode, feel free to drop us a line. You can also check out back episodes uh, for The Thin Place at iTunes or at our sponsor and original host, filmgeekradio.com.